2: listening to a hundred words or less with Ray Harkins Good afternoon morning evening whatever time it is wherever you're listening to this hello I hope I hope this this finds you well this podcast that you're listening to is all about independent music you know that I know that but for those of you that is the first time listening to this thing thank you for joining on this very epic journey. <laughs> In regards to independent music and the people that create it, uh, consume it, profoundly affected by it, it's all really meaningful to us. And the guest this week is a, kind of a random one. And when I say random, it's because it's a new band. The band's called Choir Boy. Specifically, it is a the brainchild of a person named Adam Klopp. And I fell in love with this record uh, pretty much from the first listen. Uh, I just, uh, I, it, it got sent to me. And it was one of those things where I just was, you know, right place, right time sort of thing. was like, oh, yeah, I'll check this record out. And I love it. It's that whole sort of, like, electropop, like, drab majesty, like that sort of stuff. But uh, it is just, it is so catchy, so good. And I had to have Adam on because... Frankly, there. I mean, you you can look at the record cover. I I encourage you to Google it. The record's called Gathering Swans. It came out on uh, Dias Records. uh, I want to say about uh, April or May of this year. And you, first of all, you should listen to the record. But a lot of people, I've seen actually on social media being like, "Oh, I didn't listen to this record because I found it. uh, You know, I just the the cover was off-putting." and it's one of those things where it's like i could see that or like someone may have written it off as like a you know like a cheesy soundcloud rapper sort of thing it was it was interesting for me to view it through that lens like you know i wasn't off put by the uh, artwork but i was just kind of like oh well, i don't know let's check this out but anyways all that to say this is a band that you absolutely need to check out you need to listen to it because uh, this record blew me away so i had to have adam on and we talk a lot about his very interesting background coming from a very religious household and uh yeah just a lot of interesting experiences. So how are you doing? Like we're all managing, putting our head down, trying to get through all of the things that we're getting through. Actually all last week I didn't work at all and I found myself looking at screens just far less in general besides the screen of a video game which I was playing pretty pretty profusely with my son. But um it, it I don't know. It just raises the panic level down a couple of notches. And I realized that that sometimes isn't a good thing because you need to be paying attention to the world around you. But then I just also found myself being like, well, all the ins and outs and the machinations that uh, you care about on a daily basis can maybe sometimes be tempered with the fact that you don't need to have shooting into your brain every possible moment of the chaos that surrounds you. So, I don't know, just a general observation, but as always, you can email the show 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. Please share the love of this show to other friends of yours, because I, I love when I get people diving into this particular show, messaging me on social media, emailing me, being like, hey, I showed a friend, they really like it, and then like, honestly... Maybe a couple months later, the friend writing me be like, Hey, I I heard this from my friend, and just that that web we all weave when we're recommending music and movies and all that other stuff. So anyways, spread the word where you can, because uh, I just always like to uh, have new people that need to be listening to this thing listening to it. So here's my discussion with Adam, and of course I will talk to you at the end of the episode telling you who the guest the following week is, okay? If you didn't know that happens, that happens. So here's Adam. Time publicist, uh, who reached out to me to be like, "Hey, you should check out this LP. I think you'll like it." And um, you know, it's one of those things that, uh, like, w- whatever, working in the music industry, and you know, you get sent a lot of music, and then uh, it, it, it's very rare that stuff just kind of like, you know, really kind of peeks its head above and be like, "Oh, yeah, this is like actually really good." And your uh, your most recent lp and frankly all the other music that i checked out of yours did that so good job way to oh. go way, way to not suck <laughs> thank you so much you're welcome um and you know I, I mean my mind kind of immediately went to the whole you know whatever captured tapes like craft spells like that whole bedroom project that obviously turns into something you know a little bit uh, more real as far as you know a live performance and putting out records and stuff like that um you know, I, I guess this is kind of like a, a super simple question to start things off, but you know, how uh you know, how does it feel to have people like, you know, a, a random dude like myself just hopping on Skype and being like, hey, I really like your record? Like, you know, does that make you just feel like, wow, like this this project is much larger than I ever thought it was going to be? Or, you know, how does it kinda of ping pong in your head? Yeah,
3: it uh it's pretty weird, especially since, yeah, like you said in the beginning it was you know, there was pretty much, you know, when when you're making stuff at at first, there's like no eyes on you, and so you don't. I, I think that it's it's a, it's kind of a double edged sword because now that people are paying attention, you, you know, it's like it feels like validating to validating and cool to, you know, have people connect with something that you've made. And I think that, you know, it's really special to like go to a show on tour and have, you know, people in the audience that are like having some sort of like visceral response to something that you've worked really hard to make. But then, yeah, I think the flip side is, you know, you kind of end up with like a little bit of a head game sometime when you, I don't know, you, uh, you know, sometimes I, I miss just being kind of anonymous, I guess.
2: Sure. Yeah. It is that double-edged sort of the, you know, it's it, like you said, that, that sort of dopamine hit of like, oh, it's cool that people are identifying with this. And then, uh, you know, on the flip side, it's like, Oh, well, you know, now there are expectations that are placed on me, you know, based off of the music yeah. that I'm releasing. And so, yeah, I can get where that, that, um, and it's not even like the pressure that you're putting on yourself, but like it, it it's really hard to be able to separate those two things.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um And so, you know, kind of, uh, you know, putting the the focus on, on you as an individual, um, you know, I, I know some biographical information, so, you know, forgive me with the rudimentary questions, but just were you born and raised in the Midwest, like in the Ohio area, right?
3: Yeah, I was, I was born in Columbus and I grew up in Cleveland,
2: Got it, got it. And Cleveland is a very, uh, you know, a very storied city in regards to, uh, you know, punk and hardcore with, uh, you know, integrity and all that other stuff. But um, I I presume most of that stuff didn't come onto your radar until, uh, you know, much later, like, you know, maybe high school, uh, maybe even later than that.
3: Yeah, I to be honest. So when I was in high school, I think that I had it's weird to think back because I feel like I had all these phases that I went through really rapidly where like I would be really obsessed with a certain style of music for like two months. And then it'd be like, okay, I don't like, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I don't know if that makes sense, but you know, I guess you just like, uh, nowadays I feel like it's rare for me to, you know, get excited about music so much anymore. But back then I could, you know, it would be like, okay, like I'm 14, I'm, I'm obsessed with Hellcat records uh, I like, you know, ska and punk and like psychobilly and rockabilly and, you know, and then like s- six months later it would be like, Oh, like that's, that's baby shit. I like, uh, <laughs> right. I like kid dynamite and, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I feel like I would go, th- go through phases in rapid succession. So, um, yeah, it definitely I don't think I even knew who Integrity was probably until like maybe a little bit later. Uh sure. Probably we I started going to like actual like we would go to my friends and I would go to like bigger punk shows like like Rancid or Dropkick Murphys or bands like that and then I think as we got a little bit older, we started going to shows that were like more actual DIY punk shows. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, there were like splits in the scene where like, yeah, some of our friends were more into like kind of the hardcore scene. Um, and so I kinda, I never was like super into, That that realm of hardcore, uh, the the first band that I played in, we covered like I think we covered like one agnostic front song or something. So that was a band that I kind of I thought, you know, I listened to some of like the more like 80s, 90s Mm -hmm. stuff. But like once it kind of got more. uh, I think like the the scene of hardcore that like came out of like Gorilla Biscuits and agnostic front and like the you know, like the New York, Boston scenes. Uh, I was like familiar because my friends liked it, but that wasn't really something I was super into personally.
2: Sure. Well, and I mean, I can see the, uh, through line that you can connect with, you know, getting into a band like dropkick Murphys and their touch points with, you know, those style of bands rather than the more metallic stuff that, you know, could be coming out from, you know, the, the Cleveland scene at large where it's like, well, It's not, you know, like, I mean, clearly, you know, bands like Integrity and all all that other stuff have connections to punk. But, you know, sonically, it's a little bit larger of a gap to jump.
3: There were, I mean, I did go to shows like that would probably be kind of in that scene. There was like a house venue that I went to a few times called uh, The Tower. And I think that they did like, they did all sorts of crazy like I think noise shows and punk shows, but they would have shows that I think were, you know, never a band as big as Integrity, but kind of I think bands along those lines would play there. Sure. Yeah,
2: Yeah, no, no, that's cool. And I I, I do like the description of yourself because I think in regards to the, you know, kind of cyclical nature that people uh, go through, especially at that age when you're kind of just rifling through all of these, uh, you know, uh, musical genres or scene. I mean, you don't even really, you know, at that age, you probably don't even know they're really scenes per se because you're just like liking them. But I, the, the idea of that, like, Oh yes, like the thing that I'm moving on to is more mature than the previous thing that I was listening to.
3: Yeah. I don't even know if that was necessarily true, but I felt like it
2: right. was. Yeah, exactly. No, totally. Totally. Yeah. You're like, Oh, this is the more evolved version. So like, I can't, um, you know, I, I, I identify with this more because, uh, you know, I'm more of a grown up than I was three months ago or whatever.
3: <laughs> yeah. Um,
2: so what was your, uh, I guess, what was your family structure like brothers and sisters, you know, mom and dad in the house?
3: Yeah. So, uh, I have two sisters and yeah, kind of regular nuclear family, uh, uh, mom and dad and, two older sisters.
2: So you were the uh, the baby of the crew uh, getting yep. um, you know getting preferential treatment?
3: <laughs> yeah, I think a little bit.
2: Sure. You were, you were able to get away with uh, murder as the older siblings probably look at you?
3: Uh, yeah, I think so.
2: <laughs> Got it. Uh, what did your parents do for a living?
3: Um, my dad works for the Federal Reserve Bank. Or, well, he did. Uh, to be honest, I always thought he was an accountant, but... I don't really know what he actually did. Right. <laughs> he like did something about money. That's all I knew. I remember my friend, I th- thought he was an accountant. And one time one of my friends, uh, like was doing like a school report about, uh, you know, one of those things where you like call someone of a certain, uh, occupation that you're interested in going into. um, And you, you you know what I'm talking about? Like,
2: uh, yeah, it's like you, you kind of, you're, do you do an interview of a person in a certain, you know, field of work and you're kind of, you know, doing a report on, oh, this is what it's like to be a banker or veterinarian or whatever.
3: Yeah. So I think that my friend got assigned this assignment to like interview an accountant. And I, 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 for some reason, I think my mom even was like, well, he could interview dad. And so I had him call my dad and he interviewed him. And then at the end of the call, my dad said to me, he was like, you know, I'm not an accountant, right?
2: (laughs) You're like, whoops, sorry, dad. (laughs) Well, but I, I think it's, it is one of those things where you don't actually know what your parents do. If they have a job that is, you know, maybe a little bit more difficult to explain than a one word description, you know, a firefighter, you understand a teacher, you understand, but it's like, oh, yes, I'm a, you know, systems analyst claims processor. It's like, what? What does that even mean?
3: Yeah, I think he he did something to do with like a, he like was in charge of payroll, I'm pretty sure, but I don't know what the title was. I, I went to like a bring your kid to work day once and uh, I didn't actually see anything besides his, I, like I, he took me into his office and I saw where he hid all of his candy and then other than that, like all the kids were like whisked away into a big group where they showed us like a big vault door. Or something, and then they gave us a bag of like shredded money because they would like uh, retire money at that location or something, and you could get like as a souvenir like a bag of shredded one dollar bills.
2: So cool! Yeah, I re- I definitely remember uh, you know doing family vacations to Washington D.C. and visiting the Treasury and them having those like you know uncut one dollar bill sheets or whatever that obviously you couldn't cut and circulate. But yeah, just have like wait a minute, like you don't use this money. Like, I don't understand this. What do you mean you shred money? Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Um, and so, uh, like you, and was your mom at home taking care of, uh, all of you guys?
3: Yeah. So she, she worked part time, uh, as like an assistant, uh, for my grandma who was, uh, she's the president of the Ohio league for nursing, which is like a, a group. I think she kind of, I don't know if she helped found the group or, but she, yeah, my mom, uh, you know, helps set up like nursing conventions and stuff like that.
2: Got it. Got it. Um, and then what sort of, uh, you know, what sort of kid did you find yourself being as you were, you know, going into elementary school and maybe junior high, were you, you know, uh, quiet and reserved, you know, outgoing sports person, what sort of lanes did you, uh, did you try? I
3: was kind of spazzy. Okay. I, uh, I, I think I, I wasn't a, I was outgoing, but I was very uncool, I think, in hindsight.
2: (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Yeah. I know it's always tough to like, look at yourself uh, objectively. Um, but you know, usually when you're older, you can kind of point like, oh yes, this is, I guess the archetype I kind of fit into where, yeah, you know, if you're the, the, the kid that no one uh, necessarily doesn't like, but it's just like, Oh yeah, Adam, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's kind of bouncing all over the place.
3: Yeah, I think, I don't know. I think I probably, yeah, it's hard to say. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, I think I probably was just mostly really annoying for a long time.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Got it. Like how, how so were you like a, um. Uh, a punisher, kind of, you know, always hanging around with people, asking a ton of questions.
3: Definitely a punisher, I think. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I had like a, I had a bad speech impediment, and uh, and I, I think I probably was like a pretty, like probably pretty relentlessly wanted to be people's friends or something, or or want their attention. And I think, uh, I think it. I don't really think I had like many friends until i was a little bit older Got like it. in school probably
2: sure sure and did you uh did you try sports out were you uh kind of an art kid where did you find yourself well, the very hobbies good
3: at sports. i irish dance as a kid and i was good at that but i i think yeah i was more interested in like art stuff
2: I sure think. sure and
3: comics and
2: oh and okay Did you actually draw, like, were you actually, you know, like doing doodles and drawing and stuff like that?
3: Yeah, I would draw, I would draw, like, I would draw superheroes all the time. I was really into Marvel stuff.
2: Yes, as, as, as most uh, young boys of a certain age, (laughs) you, it's almost a rite of passage. Yeah. It just depends, I guess, what particular superhero you're attracted to, whether you're like, yo, I'm a Punisher guy or, you know, or if you, you you go, you know, a different route with being like, oh, I really like Spider-Man.
3: Yeah, I think it was X-Men. That was the one that we really liked, or at least in my friend group, it seemed like that was kind of the favorite.
2: Yeah, yeah. Because they, they were, yeah, X-Men were a little bit grittier than, you know, the Avengers, like especially when you got Wolverine.
3: Yeah. Yeah, and I think X-Men is a cool one. Uh, For like weirdos, even if like you don't really realize that you're like a weirdo or like what the parallels are with the X-Men, I feel like it's a good, you know, uh, it's just like a good thing for kids, I think, to like kind of like absorb messages without knowing what they're actually saying, maybe like I remember like being you know, like, being raised in, like, a... I was raised in, like, a pretty religious household. And so, like, I feel like just, you know, through church or whatever, you kind of, like, are being fed one idea. But, like, comic books, you know, an adult might look at it and just think it's, like, funny pictures. But, like, there's, like, serious social commentary that your kids are, like, absorbing and through the comic books without... And it kind of goes under the radar, like... Like as a 10-year-old kid, like reading a book where like people are like protesting against mutants with signs that say God hates mutants. You know, you don't necessarily see that as like a parallel for the real world as a kid. But then I think as you grow older, you kind of like process those ideas.
4: The show is sponsored by BetterHelp.
5: If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Listen, band merch is something I'm very passionate about. Like I've spent
2: uh I've spent a lot of money on band merch over the years. And rockabilia.com is your solution for The best band merch around. First of all, use this code PC100Words. That gets you 15% off your order. And it's it's an incredible, incredible website and an incredible company. All officially licensed stuff. You can find pretty much anything you possibly could want there. Whether it's t-shirts, long sleeves, hoodies, sweatshirts, posters, puzzles, anything. (laughs) Collectibles. They have it all. It's shipped from the Midwest, so it gets to you very quickly. I've ordered from them multiple times and I've received stuff actually quicker than I anticipated. And uh, they're just, they're they're a well-run company. It's all officially licensed. So that means, and this is an important note, that the bands get paid because in this time of not touring, the way that you can support bands in a very real and direct way is buying their merch. So Rockabilia is the real deal because they are making sure that this economy that we rely so much on from an independent music perspective stays alive. So rockabilia.com, visit it up, use the code PC one hundred words and gets you fifteen percent off your order. Thank you very much, Rockabilia. I, I completely agree with you because it introduces you to um frankly just a different way of thinking and yeah like though the idea those two ideas you're talking about of you know kind of the the misfit idea of you know all of these x-men who are just you know discarded from society but you know professor professor x brings them in and you know you have everybody with all these weird powers uh you know it's like i just always remember jubilee as a character where it's like all she does is do shoot sparkles out of her her fingers but like she's still cool and uh it has that, that notion of like, everybody is welcome in here, even though the outside world doesn't welcome you. And like you said, finding that, um, you know, that pop culture, uh, connection that it's like, okay, if, and like you said, you weren't able to vocalize it, but you're like, okay, someone else feels kind of the same way. And there's a different train of thought that isn't necessarily being shown in, you know, uh, my Sunday school class or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, it, I, I was going to hit that a little bit later in regards to, you know, your religious upbringing. So this, it basically was a strict Christian household or were you Catholicism? Like what, what sort of strain were you?
3: Uh, LDS, which is
2: Mormon. Yeah. yeah, sure. Um, and that, yeah, that is there, I guess this uh pardon my ignorance, but uh, I never really knew that there was a, uh, was there a big Mormon contingent in, um, uh, the Cleveland area or is that just.
3: Um, no, it's not actually very big, but uh, there is a lot of history in that part of Ohio um, because the like the early church in the 1800s, like the 1830s, I think, when Joseph Smith was first starting the church, um, they like moved around a lot um, because of like uh, you know, persecution or whatever, you know various reasons but I think after he founded the church in New York, they moved to Ohio. Um, and that's where they built the first Mormon temple. And so there's like all like a several like historical church sites, like 40 minutes away from where I grew up. So there's like not, a, there's not like a, very substantial church membership there in that area. But there, you know, there is like, you know, church history, so to speak.
2: Sure. sure. Right. Yeah. In their, in their migration from, uh, you know, what was it like upstate New York all, all the way to Salt Lake city? Yeah. 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 Um, right, exactly. Yeah. You got, (laughs) you got to stop at fort different forts for supplies and then, you know, spread your gospel or whatever. I don't
3: think that they were actually Initially intending to go all the way to Salt Lake. I think that there was like a point in time where, like, Missouri, they thought Missouri was going to be. It was like, I, I want to say that they went. I, I, uh, I want to say they went um, New York. I think mean, they started Palmyra, New York, and then I think they went to Kirtland, Ohio. Then Maybe Nauvoo, Illinois, and then Uh Missouri? Or maybe I'm mixing one of those up. Sure. But, But yeah, it wasn't until Joseph Smith died that Brigham Young, like the second prophet, like did the big leap to all the way to Salt
2: Lake. Right, right, right. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of, I, I guess kind of because of that, uh, upbringing you were doing the, uh, you know, I mean, church every Sunday, you know, the, cause forgive me just because I was not raised in the Mormon church at all. Like there's no, I guess, I, I guess there's a version of Sunday school <laughs> in the Mormon church or is it called yeah, a different?
3: Sunday school? I think they actually call it Sunday school. Okay. But yeah, it's, so the way that it works is, uh, it used to be, They changed it recently, but it used to be the first hour was called uh, a sacrament meeting. And that was where, like, you would sing some hymns and then there would be the sacrament, which is like, you know, kind of it's this similar concept as like um, communion. Is that what it's called in the Catholic Church? Similar concept where there's like breaking of bread and, you know, it's water instead of wine. But uh, it's like symbolic of, you know, you're partaking of the flesh and the blood. Uh, And then there's like speakers, like, you know, kind of like it kind of seems like a regular mass or like just church type thing where it's like one speaker uh, at the podium and then there's like songs and stuff. And then it breaks out into like individual meetings for like two more hours. And it's like Sunday school and Depending on your age, you go to different different classes and stuff.
2: Got it, got it. Um, and so, you know, I mean, that, like, clearly was just, you know, part and parcel of all of your experiences. And, you know, they, I mean, the Mormon Church is definitely... Um, you know, the, uh, trains of thought that you have sort of outside of the context of, you know, what you learn in church and stuff like that is, uh, obviously less encouraged than maybe other, you know, more, uh, I guess, looser religions. Um, but like you said, like once you kind of, um, you know, started to either maybe question that, uh, and question what you are, you know, being, uh, you know, being taught, um, I presume that was a uh, difficult experience for you in regards to like, Oh yes. Like I am kind of diverging from the, what, what my family has kind of set out for me.
3: Um, yeah, I don't think, I think it was like a slow, slow burn experience. I think that, yeah, probably when I was like a teenager, like 12, 13, like those were like the first, like the first, Times that it like really occurred to me, like, oh, this could all just be—I don't know. Yeah, yeah. What you're—I think you experience that thing where, like, you you you're realizing that your perception of the world and how things should be doesn't align with what you've been taught. And so, when it's like a religious thing and not just you know human, you feel like there there's like an like a I think there can be a greater internal struggle where basically the even like certain scriptures basically will tell you that, that line of, you know, like that line of thinking is like prideful and a sin essentially. So you're kind of set up when you, when, you know, for for like, you know, a guilt trip when you're like, wow, this, this all seems pretty crazy and not very real. Um, and then you kind of, uh, you know, I think, uh, there's like specific scriptures that actually say that, like, if you, you know, the, I can't, the, the, the popular phrasing is like the learn the learned think they're wise or something like that, where like, uh, I can't remember what scripture it is, but there's like specific, like ideas that you're conditioned with to like protect against, it's like, you know. Weird you're programmed with like weird mind control stuff along the way, so when you get to the point of doubt you're you're already programmed with these like destructive ideas or something
2: I don't know, sure, yeah, well, you have these um these these roadblocks that occur where it's like okay, if you start to you know explore these, uh, tangential ideas to what, you know, the church has maybe taught you. There are these, um, yeah, like I said, roadblocks that kind of, you know, maybe are intended to stop you from going down those paths. But yeah, to your point, it's like, you know, when you are fully committed to the idea of exploring those, you can just walk around those roadblocks and be like, no, I'm going to go further.
3: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think that my experience might even be a little bit more extreme than a lot of or I don't know, maybe, maybe that's not the case, but I, I remember even like when I was in high school, which was definitely the period where I really started to question things. Uh, the, there's something called seminary that, or like the Mormon version of seminary, it's like a classes you take in high school for like an hour every day. Um, and, in Utah, I think that people can take it as part of like they can do it as part of school or something. Um, but since nobody's Mormon in Ohio, we would do it before school. So we would wake up at like five in the morning or something. And before we went to school, we would go to church for an hour for a class. And I remember I had like seminary teacher, like one in particular who uh, was like really against evolution or like the idea of evolution. And I think it, he like felt like it was his responsibility to like really leave that impression on us before, you know, cause like, you know, you're taking biology classes in high school and learning about stuff like that. And it's weird in hindsight to think that, uh, you're part of something where people are intentionally trying to undermine your education. Uh, you know what I mean? It's totally. Like, you have these,
2: pretty, yeah, no, for sure. You have these two completely uh, alternate realities that are being presented to you, and it's just like, wait, how how are the both of these supposed to exist like mutually exclusive to one another? You know? So yeah, I totally understand what you're saying. Um, and then you know, kind of as you were you know exploring this, and then obviously trying to figure out you know who you were not only musically, um, but you know just as a person, like in high school. Um, you know, when, when you kind of got into, you know, punk and these, these subcultures, uh, I presume a lot of that was also uh, kind of a catalyst for you to, you know, kind of venture even further away from religion. Yeah.
3: Um, I think, I mean, I was going to punk shows. I didn't really, uh, I wouldn't say I really like got all the way out until I was an adult, but Yeah, there were definitely, you know, steps along the way where I was like going to punk shows in high school and kind of like, you know, it's weird to have like most of your friends be involved in this, you know, somewhat politically radical subculture um, when you're part of a conservative Christian religion that's like, you know, super present in your life. Um, So, but yeah, I didn't. I think, you know, I kind of just, you know, I don't know. It's weird though. Cause I, I, I still have friends that would consider themselves pretty radical feminists that are, you know, still make Mormonism work in their lives. So some, some people can make it work, but I, you know, ultimately just realized I didn't believe it was true at all. And, and so I didn't.
2: Right. Didn't, I, didn't, yeah, I didn't march forward with it. Um, and like, did you care about school? You know, were you, I guess, a good student or did you kind of just coast by? Where did you land on that?
3: Uh, I was, I was pretty good. I I think I was like probably top 10 in my class or something or s- pretty close. I don't know. I had like a four point something. I got really good grades in high school.
2: Nice. And did that weird. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I mean, sometimes people know how to, um, you know, they're either, you know, intelligent in a certain, in a certain amount of subjects and then, you know, are horrible at like, you know, science or math or whatever. Uh, but did you find yourself, I guess, like working hard for those grades or did?
3: Yeah. I, I think I like somehow was under the impression I worked just as hard as I needed to. I think I could like, like, uh, like I, I think that there were classes where I would just like test the waters and figure out what I could get away with. You know what I mean? And I could kind of just, uh, get through a class and get an A just doing the bare minimum. But yeah, I remember there, I I had like a weird mix of, I think being like just smart enough to do the work. And then also like having the impression that it really, really mattered.
2: (laughs) Sure. Right.
3: Which. In hindsight, like, a, I don't know, you know, I didn't graduate college. I dropped out of college after about a year and a half. And, you know, it's funny f- to think in hindsight that as a teenager, I really thought that my high school grades would make an impression on the rest of my life. But I, I, I guess for some people it does. I don't think it did for me, but right. I would, I definitely had that impression, which is funny. <laughs>
2: Right. Usually that comes from a uh, maybe a family of educators where it's just like, oh, you've got no choice but to do well in school. And of course you're going to college and of course you're going to do this.
3: Yeah, I don't think my mom, my mom didn't graduate college. But yeah, I think that there was there was a lot of pressure to excel in academia in my family.
2: Sure, sure. Uh, were you, uh, you know, I, I guess like, what was your life path? Like, I know that that's probably a very grand way of putting it, but you know, did you have my, kind of visions my, for the future?
3: What did you say? My light path? Uh,
2: sorry, your life path, like, you know, oh. career sort of stuff. Like, was there any sort of conception of like, oh yes, Adam is going to be doing this.
3: Um, yeah, I don't, I think that that was always a big question mark for me and still remains to be. Uh, <laughs> sure. But, uh, yeah, I think that that was uh, confusing for me for sure. Because yeah, when you, I think that I was brought up to think like, okay, I'm going to go to college, get like a regular job and probably start a family right away. I think that that was not necessarily what I wanted, but what I thought was going to happen, you know, cause that's kind of, you know, I was, uh, yeah, I think, I think I, I think I maybe thought I was going to grow out of like doing music stuff and then, <laughs> or like, uh, yeah, I don't know.
2: It's going to be a phase, right?
3: <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I, I, I kind of think that I knew I was like building myself up for a fork in the road. Like, or was, like at some point, like this, the, like, uh, the scene that I'm in, you know, like, a. I, I think I knew that it was going to, like, come to a head just, uh, like, my interests and in the way I saw the world kind of having dissonance with, you know, a, the other part of my life, you know. Uh, sure. And so I, I think that I, yeah, I always, like, especially as I got older, I, it kind of seemed like a mur- murky, murky future.
2: <laughs> got it. And, uh, you know, as you were uh, also kind of exploring your, you know, your own individuality and, you know, kind of forging your own path, uh, not only, you know, from a religious perspective, but then obviously the fact that, you know, school wasn't exactly your, uh, you know, burning passion, you know, were there, was there a lot of, I guess, like conflict in the house where your parents just like, Oh, what is, what is this music that Adam's bringing home? Like, what, what is this? I don't know what to do with him. Or Mm -hmm. was it kind of, you know, they just sort of left you to your own devices?
3: No, I think that they were, like, I think that they were, you know, they didn't necessarily get get it all the way, but they weren't, like, you know, I think that there, you know, there were times where I would, like, have, like, lyrics of a band out that, like, uh, like the band I was in was, like, going to, like, cover or something like that, and I, I remember one time, my mom was like, I found these, you left these in the printer tray. And I just want to make sure that you're not saying these words in your band. Uh,
2: <laughs> so
3: good. Uh, which, you know, at that time I was like 14. And I think it was like, I I don't even, I think it was like ass or damn or something pretty mellow. But like, uh, I think I was, I really like skated the line of being, like I never really had any big blow-up arguments. I don't think for most of my teen years, like over that stuff. I think it was kind of like I was into weird stuff and dressed a way that maybe they preferred. I didn't, but you know, uh, with the exception of like a few comments here or there, here and there, I think it was, it was pretty, um, you know pretty tame.
2: Sure. Sure. It, it was probably, I mean, most people uh, kind of have that experience where it's not like, you know, one day you wake up and then, you know, you get kicked out of the house cause you have a huge arguments with your parents and stuff. It's just kind of like that slow, um, you know, trickle to where you're like, Oh, like, yes, this is where I'm at. And then, you know, my parents have watched this evolution. So there isn't like you said, this big, you know, contentious blowout. Yeah. Yeah. I think,
3: I we may have had above average types of arguments, but in my head I think it was I think generally the the arguments we had were probably pretty typical of, you know, a teenager versus their parent.
2: Sure, sure. Um And you know as you started to like you know not only go uh, you know make the transition from you know concerts to DIY shows and you know experiencing more of that uh, you know whatever hundred people in a random room uh, feeling, did you immediately get taken to the idea that you wanted to you know kind of like play in a band and create music or was that something that again was a sort of slow evolution?
3: Um I don't know. I think that we actually started like messing around with band stuff before we even were in like the DIY scene. Um, like I, I had friends that like um, the friends that really got me into playing in bands. Uh, I think I befriended one of them in like sixth grade by I approached him we were in the same class and I, I think that our sisters had been friends at some point in time. And so I like, I knew that they liked comic books. And, uh, so I went up to, they were twin brothers and I went up to one of them and I was like, I I heard you like the X-Men or something like that. And, and he was like, yeah, I like the X-Men. Let's try to sit next to each other in class or something. I don't know. And, uh, they, I think that their dad was like maybe kind of in the, Cleveland punk scene like in the late 70s, 80s or something I like maybe like he was like around and like saw like Devo like come out and stuff. Like I think he had stories about like going to shows back then. Uh, and so they they kind of had like that perk of having cool artsy parents, I think, and got introduced to like the Ramones and Devo and uh, like cool music from like a young age. And so they got me into a lot of stuff. And I think like in sixth grade, Nathan, one of them had already started like trying to do bands and stuff. So yeah, I think that, um, that initial interest was like, and I guess probably everyone just wanted to be in a band, you know, at that, you know, cause it just sounds cool. I remember there being like battle of the bands at, like our middle school and thinking that that would be the coolest, coolest thing in the world to play the middle school battle.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Well, I, lo- I love that idea because it definitely is the idea that you can show what, how cool the stuff that you're into is to the rest of, you know, your square peers or whatever. <laughs> Just be like, yeah. oh, oh dude, here, this check, was- check this out.
3: Yeah. It goes way past the Led Zeppelin shirt. My mom bought me at Coles.
2: (laughs) Exactly. Totally. Yeah. It's like, yo, check it, check out. We're we're shipping off to Boston. Let's see how this, how this tickles your fancy. (laughs) Yeah.
3: Yeah. No, I mean that exactly. The first show that we played I think was battle of the bands and we played like three dropkick Murphy songs.
2: (laughs) Dude. So good. I love that. Um, and so I guess at like, what, what were you playing in the band? Uh, were you singing? Uh, I drums? Sang. Okay. Got it. Um, yeah,
3: I think my parents probably have a pretty funny recording somewhere.
2: Oh, it has to be. Yeah. It has to be unearthed. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, then, you know, I, as you started to kind of, you know, experiment and maybe do less covers and stuff like that, did you play like in an actual, a band that, you know, sort of, uh, you know, gigged out or toured a little bit or is choir boy essentially your first real sort of touring experience?
3: Um, so yeah, I, there was a, a few bands in between, like when I was in college that I toured with, but I, did, I never went on tour. I never went on tour in high school. Um, I like, I think I got, I got kicked out of that band which is funny. Um, but we started playing like real shows at like probably summer before high school. We had like an actual show at, uh, like a punk venue, like in Cleveland. I think it was called the pit. It was nasty. And I think that, um, our bassist, uh, who was kind of like the ringleader he f- networked with some other local bands on myspace or something and got us a real show and i think that like i think everyone pretty much knew that it was like a big joke or something uh in hindsight uh because uh we were called the riot boys and it was like like inspired i think we were like kind of trying to be like a pub rock oi band or something like we um yeah and uh we were I think that some of the people that we were playing shows with were like adults and so they they knew like you know these 14 year olds that can't don't know about getting a guitar tuner or or, like you know can barely play are just like making fools of themselves, but they're called the riot boys and they're middle schoolers.
2: Sure. It's like, it's almost like the, uh, you know, the, the novelty of it is obviously way more important than, you know, you guys actually being quote unquote good.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I, I, uh, I think that they probably started doing better after I got kicked out of the band. I found out from a girl in study hall that they had kicked me out.
2: (laughs) (laughs) just just like how you're supposed to solve conflict when you're in high school or junior high yeah yeah indirect and uh you know maybe with friends of friends (laughs)
3: yeah but but yeah after after i did like i started playing like acoustic just like so like i i would like go to open mic nights and stuff and set up shows at coffee shops in high school and then after that and then uh and then in college, I played in a few bands uh, that went on tour, but nothing super serious.
2: Got it, got it. And that you know, when you mentioning you know college, because I know that you moved uh, you know to Provo and then obviously experienced the Salt Lake City area um, for that college, or for that one year of college experience. Um, you know, that's also a supremely interesting you know DIY scene as well, just because they're you know not only with you know punk and hardcore and indie rock. And like, there's just so much going on because of the, um, you know, the nature of that entire city being, uh, surrounded by, you know, Mormonism and, and, and that sort of stuff. Um, did you, I guess, like your experience in, in living there and kind of, you know, starting your, uh, your, your journey to, you know, doing more of your own musical endeavors.
3: Yeah, I loved it. It was, uh, Provo living. So I lived in Provo initially. Um, and that the scene there is very weird. Um, because the, when I first moved there, there was like a pretty cool like punk rock and roll scene going on. But then there's like also the, a more like mainstream indie scene uh, that's like really big there, which is weird. There's this one venue called uh, valor um, And like three years in a row, there was like bands from that were like the big Valore bands that were like getting legitimately very famous like there was first there was a band called neon trees oh yeah uh and then like shortly after that imagine dragons became the next band and then for a minute there was like just like random people getting signed to like major record labels that were just like local local people um so yeah there was simultaneously like like, still, like, kind of, like, a punk DIY scene, and then, like, the, in, like, the, I, I don't know how to describe it, really, but there, there was, like, a, a really competitive, like, scene of bands, like, really trying to, like, go pro and get, like, actually famous, which was really interesting to, you know, kind of, like, you know, play shows in both worlds, and, you know, just see you know, both sides of that.
5: your perfect home sweet home
1: rain or shine every day is a great day for fishing right you got rain gear but you can't overlook sunny day gear a columbia pfg solar stream elite hoodie has you covered on the sunniest days like literally i mean who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish but why do it if you don't have to So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG and shop all their performance fishing gear.
2: Sure. Yeah. The attention, especially too, where all, all of a sudden there seems to be sort of a, uh, you know, geographical nature to, uh, bands and a scene kind of starting to, you know, pop. Cause then, you know, the music industry starts to pay attention. It's like, oh yeah, something's going on in Salt Lake. So like, we got to pay attention to it in the way that, you know, the, you pay attention to scenes in Seattle or whatever the case may be. So yeah, it's, and then, to your point, it's interesting to be kind of, you know, on the front lines and then having both of these experiences of the, you know, playing in front of four people and then playing in front of, you know, 800 people at a huge venue or whatever. Yeah. Um, and when you started to, you know, kind of have these first touring experiences, um, you know, and, and even reflecting on the the touring that you've done with choir boy, do you, uh, do you like touring?
3: Um, yeah, I do. I do. And I don't, I really, uh, it's, it's really disruptive to your life, but I really, um, I think that, uh, I think that not being able to go on tour with this record made me really realize how much I value the, uh, experience of playing live. And I, yeah, I I guess I was starting to take it for granted because I just was kind of getting tired of it. But, uh, I I definitely really love uh I really love you know uh that opportunity to go to different cities and um you know be able to play your songs for people every single night and yeah I guess um I kind of I guess maybe it was taking it for granted that we were able to do that so frequently
2: Yeah, there's definitely, um, I think looking at the holistic uh, experience of touring, um, you know, once you start to experience it and kind of have the, you know, highs and lows, like pretty much everything else in life where you know, (laughs) some good shows, some bad shows, but then just the overall experience of being like, oh, wow, it's wild that I get to drive to a different city. And then, you know, uh, even if there's three people at the show, it's just like, well, they made a deliberate effort to come out. So, like, let's become friends and hang out.
3: Yeah, sometimes I feel like those shows like you know, it sucks when I've I've done tours where literally every night is that and that's not fun because you're just like <laughs> Yeah. You know, I feel like at a certain point you're just like wow, I I like took time off work to do this and now I'm just like paying out of pocket to you know, that was like every tour I did for like a couple years I guess, but but uh I think, yeah, I, I kind of like having at least one terrible show on every tour. Um, because like, yeah, the, like the attendance and, you know, you can have like a show at a venue where it's like, like a sold out show for like a a thousand people. And that show can feel shittier than like a show that you play at, at like a weird bar in the middle of nowhere for three people. Like, I think that those shows are, you know, at least feel like a break from the Groundhog's day of touring.
2: Sure. Right. Yeah, it can it can you know, if you have a a string of, you know, three or four good shows and it's just like, oh man, like, you know, you start to buy into whatever, you know, ego you might be, uh, you know, intentionally or unintentionally leaning into. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, wait, hold on. Like, I'm not that cool. Like, (laughs) yeah, you got to have those balance because otherwise, yeah, then you're just surrounded by, um, you know, people who constantly uh, reverberate that you are the best at what you're doing and there's uh, no other other way around it.
3: Yeah, I think, yeah, I, I think there's also something really special about playing shows. Usually the shows that are really shitty like that are like shows in like weird towns. I found, which also maybe gives like an inherent charm to it where it's like, why am I in like, why am I in this like weird town in the middle of nowhere playing a show? Like, But, but you know, that kind of reminds you of like why touring is remarkable because, it's like, yeah, why you wouldn't otherwise be here. So uh, you just have like a, I don't know, but yeah, sorry. I just rambled a little bit.
2: No, man, that's welcome to podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, something I, I find interesting um, you know with uh, what you've been doing with Choir Boy and you know the the kind of shows you've been able to play and the sort of um, you know uh, the, the, the scene that you kind of uh, travel in is the fact that you have um, you know all of these bands whether it's you know whatever I'm thinking of one band in particular like Ceremony you know you've, you've done a lot of shows with them you're close friends with them um, and they obviously come from a very uh, you, know, uh, you know punk and hardcore background sonically and also obviously the shows that they've um, you know, kind of played at the early stages of their band. And then now there's this, this real, I've been noticing personally in the past, um, you know, five to seven years where bands that have, you know, had those, uh, scenes as touch points, but then are doing things sonically so different than, um, you know, what they either previously were, uh, but still kind of keep the same, you know, ethics or aesthetic to it. Um, have you been kind of, you know, uh, I mean, obviously you've noticed it because you, you know, exist, uh, you know, right in the middle of it. Um, but you know, have you kind of noticed that, um, I guess more, uh, freedom to uh, express yourself in ways that, uh, might not have existed whatever, 10 years ago where you needed to kind of, you know, stick in your lane and kind (laughs) of, kind of stay in it. Um,
3: yeah, I guess, um,
2: I know I, it's, I know it's a tough question. I, I it's just I I guess it's a and I wouldn't even call it a trend because you know that makes it sound like someone's trying to capitalize on something or whatever. But just the yeah. that that notion of like, "Oh yes, like I came from a certain place. This is the fabric of who I am." But musically I'm going to do more than, you know, just these whatever, you know, minute and a half long songs or whatever.
3: Yeah. Well, I never really like with the exception of like one band like after the first like I, I feel like I existed in like a punk scene but I never really played in that many punk bands in recent years you know what I mean like uh or like at all like I, I feel like I always was kind of like the kid like a like I existed in like a DIY punk scene but I I feel like I always kind of like was just you know doing like pretty music you know what I mean, and I think that maybe, maybe what you're describing, I think that, you know, I felt like I had like friends that were kind of dismissive of it, it maybe because it wasn't palatable, because it wasn't punk or something. Um, but I never really felt like, uh, um, yeah, maybe maybe kind of like the inverse of what you're asking is true if that makes sense where like maybe people that I was friends with like certain friends maybe just weren't interested because it wasn't palatable to them for whatever reasons it was too vanilla or too pop or too pretty quote unquote. But, uh, you know, if that does that make sense? Maybe,
2: maybe. Yeah, no, I, I see exactly what you're saying because I definitely think there is a kind of uh, demarcation line with, you know, people getting into music and, you know, similar to what you were talking about as far as like your, you know, your you're every two or three months cycling through music in, you know, high school where you know, certain things either may aesthetically, uh, you know, appear appealing to a person where they're like, oh yeah, I like the looks of this. I like the way, you know, the band font is or whatever, you know, like something yeah. draws a person in, but then they actually listen to the music and it's like, oh, that doesn't, um, you know, that just doesn't jive with me. Um, whereas yeah. you can do, you know, you can kind of exist with maybe pulling these aesthetics in from, you know, different uh, musical genres and scenes and whatever, but then have music that like you're saying is more, uh, or uh, like I'm saying it is more quote unquote palatable and it isn't this, you know, like really, you know, aggressive thing or whatever. Yeah. 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 I,
3: I think that also what you're describing with like bands like Ceremony going, I think that they're a really interesting band for that reason that they've, you know, every record sounds different. Um, uh, But yeah, I think that we're kind of in like a post-genre world because with the internet, subculture is kind of like... I think maybe people realize that like the mysteriousness of subculture is kind of dying with the internet. And so people are kind of like a little bit like more self-aware of their allegiances. You know what I mean? Where I think that like in a time where where you had to work really hard to be punk or something like that. You like only liked punk and you wouldn't even like, maybe you have like guilty pleasures that you like, but you wouldn't tell your friends that you listen to Steely Dan or something. Uh I don't know. Maybe that's not true, but
2: no, you know, I, I, I agree with you. I, I think that there, I mean the, the train of thought that people, um, you know are more well versed at a wide variety variety of genres i think is true i definitely think that maybe the knowledge of those genres is maybe you know kind of like skin deep so to speak where it's not as like you know oh yes i'm getting like you know if i'm into ska i'm not only into ska but i'm into like you know the the d rate and f rate bands that are <laughs> of that scene whereas like yeah now that there's more um, it it's kind of spread across where it's like, oh, yeah, I know that, you know, top one or two bands in each one of these, you know, uh, you know, bedroom pop lo-fi genres or whatever, you don't know, want to describe them. Yeah. But yeah, I, I see. No, I totally I, I see what you're saying. So, yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of, uh, you know, in, interesting ways in which people explore music now. And and I think that's what makes, you know, uh, the label that you're working with and the music that you're putting out, um, you know, so interesting because it's obviously connected to the DIY nature of everything that, you know, independent music thrives on. But there's the idea that this can, you know, appeal to people who have no touch point to that whatsoever. And they just like the music for what it is.
3: Yeah.
2: Have you had that kind of experience with people kind of just like, randomly being exposed to choir boy and obviously not, um, you know, having a sort of, you know, nerdy in depth awareness of, of the stuff that maybe you or I are into. Um, and just kind of like, Oh yes, like I, I really, I like choir boy. Like, you know, do you, I I don't, where, where are you, where's your next concert? Like that sort of stuff.
3: Yeah. I think, you, you know, uh, we've had that experience of like, you know, interacting with people at shows where it's like, you know, at, when you first start, touring your shows are generally going to be set up by your friends like or at least that's my experience where like you know I set up shows for a long time like DIY shows locally and I guess that's kind of like the process is you you like in order to tour you kind of have to have some connections I guess or friends places uh starting out or that was my experience um so like earlier on all your shows are set up by your friends. Um, and so like it kind of feels like you're playing for like an audience of peers where it's like, you're all into the same shit and you all know the same like group of DIY bands or something like that. And, um, then yeah, especially playing with like bands, like, like snail mail where the audience is like, so, so big. Sometimes you, you you know, I guess that happens where you're like, "How do you even know know about this or something like that?" which is weird to have that attitude really because it really shouldn't matter, but yeah. but but yeah, I think it's cool when when people that like unlikely you have like unlikely folks as fans or something I mean I, I feel like hopefully it has the same if there are, if there are people that, you know, just like it because like the, uh, the aesthetic appeals to them and then, you know, maybe, maybe there are people who I would like, uh, completely disagree with, with, uh, you know, political, social views, even maybe, you know, I could see, you know, cause Choir Boy isn't like a super aggressive, uh, uh, in your face band in terms of like a uh, pushing politics. I think that the, that stuff is embedded into the songs, but, um, yeah, maybe it could be an X-Men for an, an adult.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Totally. It's like, Oh yeah, this is uh, this is cool and this is why I like it. Um, you know, it, it's, it's not, um, so, uh, you know, obscure and steeped in trying to be, you know, the secret society. It's like, no, we want to be, you know, welcoming into everybody who has a affinity for our music as opposed to, you know, trying to be part of a cool kids club or whatever. Yeah. Yeah.
3: I, I, I think it's, it's tricky because sometimes, you know, you like, sometimes I do miss that where it's like, I, like I miss the charm of like DIY shows where it's like. Oh, I I know that like this night I'm going to see so-and-so in Portland because they set up the show and I'm going to see all my friends and, and now it feels less like that. But I do th- think that it's like, you know, it's a nice, you know, reminder about like to not buy into the, uh, bullshit social clout of being in a scene or
2: something like that. Yeah, for sure. Um, the last thing I want to hit on was the uh, you know, the idea of what, you know, you've been doing, you know, musically with Choir Boy and the fact that, you know, I mean, you're doing choir boy Probably not from a sort of full time I'm making a living off of my band perspective, you're obviously living a real life as well um you know how do you kind of uh i guess you know balance like the you know sort of business aspect of what it takes to kind of run a band and you know get paid for shows and make merch and all that stuff um versus you know kind of the artistic creation of it as well
3: oh yeah that's that's tricky um sometimes it does feel like you end up doing a lot more like, uh, feels like, like you said, chores or something like that, where it feels like unrelated to the creative side, but you you kind of have to juggle all of these things. Um yeah, um, yeah, I don't know the balance. Sometimes I resent it, but I think it's just part of I don't know if I'm really answering your question in the way that you were looking for it to be answered, but
2: no, no, no. Just, I mean, I I have
3: found a good balance. I, I think I, I still get like irritated, you know, but it's, you know, I think, uh, it's similar to touring where like sometimes I'll be like, man, I wish things were the way that they were before where it was all just, you know, I just get to make songs that I want to make. And that's the extent of what this experience is, you know, but then I think back on, you know, you know, I, I just have so so many opportunities that I've had from, you know, like I, uh, yeah, I think it, it's kind of like a dream come true to be able to, um, to tour at the level that we have. And I have so many friends that are, um, really talented and have like amazing projects that haven't had that opportunity that deserve it. So, you know, I feel like it when I gripe about that stuff, I feel like, you know, it's, it does suck a lot of times, but I, I think I just have to remind myself to be grateful for, you know, we, we get to, you know, we've had the opportunity to release records on like a, one of our favorite labels and, play, play shows with a lot of bands that we really love and admire. And, you know, not so many, most people don't get to do that. So I think it's, you know, just something that you have to suffer through in order to do what you love.
2: Sure. Yeah. there, Yeah. Not everything is, uh, you know, all good all the time. It's like, well, I got to handle these things in order to be able to, um, you know, do these other things that I really, really enjoy. Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally get that.
3: Well, yeah, like, I think touring with Ceremony is a cra- crazy one, you know, because like, they were like huge even when I was in high school and, you know, Cold Cave and Black Marble and just so many bands. I feel like they're it, it, it really, you know, if I don't think I would have believed it if I had told myself, you know, f- f- five years ago or whatever that we would have those opportunities, uh, you know,
2: I don't know. Yeah. You're like, wow, that's uh, that's pretty wild to be able to at least even have that opportunity to do that. And whatever, um, you know, uh, unpleasantries I had to deal with in regards to, you know, the, the commerce side of things, it's like, well, this is a still, still a great opportunity.
3: Yeah, exactly. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm becoming less and less articulate the more I try to explain myself. But. <laughs>
2: hey, as that's, that's, that's what we're here to do together. You know, well, <laughs> Well, Adam, I'll uh, I'll let you go and enjoy your uh, your beautiful weekend. But uh, thank you so much for hanging out, dude. I really appreciate this.
3: Of course, thanks for having
2: me on. Yeah, no problem, dude. What a great great discussion with Adam. I just uh, I, this one I was a little nervous about because I really didn't have any connection with him whatsoever. Uh, you know, I mean, knew enough about him biographically speaking, but didn't know how I'd, I'd connect with him. And uh, we did, and I was really thankful for uh, him being able to, uh, I don't know, just do that, open up, and trust me to not, you know, like, say stupid stuff at him and be like, oh, my gosh, like, why, why am I doing this podcast? Because <laughs> that's always a fear of mine. So, anyways, thank you to Adam, and thank you to Bailey, his publicist, for setting this up. Next week, I've got a great chat just to show you the duality of this show, where it's like, on one week, we could have a person like uh, Adam and his band Choir Boy, and the next week, we have Nate and I'm totally going to butcher his last name, Nate Rebolodelo. Rebolodelo? Totally, totally wrong. I know that. But I know him as Nate from Zabalba, or Nate from Chain Reaction at one point. But I had Nate in the show. I've wanted him for a very long time, and we were able to make it happen. And uh, that's what we got next week. Zabalba's a great band. Nate's a good dude. So we had a fun chat. That's next week. Until then, please be safe, everybody.
4: The show is sponsored by BetterHelp.